All right, so the scripture that we are, um, are looking at today is um, in Ezekiel 18. And if you'll turn there in whatever, uh, whatever you have. And so this is a, um, a particularly favorite chapter of mine. We've talked about uh, doing, uh, kind of spending some time in this uh, uh, for a little while. So we're going to do that today. Uh, why I think this is especially important for us is because um, in our day and age, right, taking responsibility um, is not something that is uh, super common, right? That we have uh, different ideas about uh, what we should um, and shouldn't be doing. And so today, as we spend time in the scripture, I'm going to read it for us, and I want us to understand that it has a particular uh, structure uh, to it and what, we're, uh, and what the argument is in the chapter. And so as we discuss what we're looking at, I'll end with... Um, uh, with debriefing us about what we have um, about what we have just read, and so if you'll follow along with me, I'm going to jump into reading our scripture, and then uh, but I'm going to stop and mark kind of sections so that you know again what you're looking at. All right, sound good? All right, so let's um, so let's start with uh, the first four verses, and so this is Ezekiel speaking. The word the word of the Lord came to me. And says, what do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers eat sour grapes and children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, this is the declaration of the Lord. You will no longer use this proverb in Israel. And so the setting of Ezekiel um, is d during the Babylonian exile. Um, Ezekiel is in uh, Babylon. Um, he is a priest turned prophet. Uh, and he is speaking to the people in exile and the people there have this uh, belief uh, that um, their lot in life, right, where they find themselves is a direct relation to what their uh, fathers have done. And so that's not untrue, but what basically they're sitting is uh, they're not in hope because they don't think that they have control, right, over their own uh, fate. Yep. And so this is what we're, we're going to address and what God addresses that all of us have, um, at some time or other, have this mentality, right? This fatalistic, right, um, irresponsible mentality where what I, what is going on with me, right, doesn't really have to do with me, right? That it's some, it's some combination of my circumstance that's happened to me, that what I do is maybe a mix of my personality, that it's this, that, that what's happening is not, like I can explain away my responsibility in the situation, right? And so this is always a temptation for us, yes? Like whatever's happening, we're always looking at, well, God, you could have done something different here besides understanding, well, what is my part to play in whatever situation I'm in? And so they have, uh, and, and this, this um, mentality has become so prevalent that he addresses this, statement is a proverb, that it is something that everyone says, right? That the fathers uh, have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. They were waiting for the next shoe to drop, right? We are waiting for the next thing to happen that is outside of our control that I can explain away or say, oh, woe is me. But God cares about, right, our mentality and understands how much that affects, right, our future, he understands that hope is powerful in us and then responsibility is powerful. And so he addresses the people through the prophet Ezekiel and he says, you will no longer say this anymore. 
And so what I want to encourage you today is I want to challenge, right, whatever mentality that you have, right, about how you think about your life. And I want you to see God as he sees you. And I want you also, right, to understand um, the part that you play, right, in your circumstances. Uh, Because it is very, again, easy for us to uh, just, it, it is what it is. Right, and I have really no control over it, and I'm just kind of going to be complainy, right? So this is his first response to, uh, in verse 4, after he says, you will no longer see this proverb in Israel. Read with me in verse 4. He says, look, every life belongs to me. Right, just because your, your life is hard right now, that doesn't mean that I don't care. Right, that doesn't mean um, that you don't have a part to play in your situation. Because when, we, when we, don't, we don't see ourselves as God sees us, we, get, uh, we start going through life with an attitude that is not helpful for him to enter into the life that we want. Amen? How many of us live lives that are not able to ask for God's help or don't have room for him right, to speak or lead where you are? Right? Particularly when things are going bad. Yes? I just want to have my pity party. I just want to sit here uh, for... Uh, for a certain length of time and just be here versus take responsibility. He goes on, the life of the Father is like the life of the Son. Both belong to me. But the person who sins is the one will die. And so this is his introduction to moving our mentality from what it is to what he wants it to be. And so he gives us then three examples in the next uh, paragraph. So we'll start in verse 5. And so he first says, suppose a man is righteous and does what is just and right. He does not eat at the mountain shrines or look at the idols of the house of Israel. He does not defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman during menstrual impurity. He doesn't impress anyone, but returns his collateral to the debtor. He does not commit robbery, but gives bread to the hungry, covers the naked with clothing. He doesn't lend at interest or profit, but keeps his hand from injustice and carries out true justice between men. He follows my statutes and keeps my ordinances acting faithfully. Such a person is righteous, he will certainly live. This is the declaration of the Lord God. So in this first example, he's equating personal responsibility and righteousness that as I understand how God wants me to live and I do that, God is pleased with that sort of life. That that person is about life and about the things that God cares about. Yes? And it is determined by what we are doing the activity right of doing that which pleases god so let's go on to the next example so this is a grandfather let's say all right but suppose a man has a violent son so this is the grandfather's son the father who sheds blood and does any of the things though his father has done none of them indeed when the son eats at the mountain shrines and defiles his neighbor's wife when he oppresses the poor and the needy commits robbery does not defile his neighbor's wife When he oppresses the poor and needy, commits robbery and does not return collateral. When he looks to the idols, commits detestable acts and lends at interest or for profit, will he live? He will not live. Since he committed all these detestable acts, he will certainly die. His death will be his own fault. So we have the second one that we've got a father who understands what God wants for him. uh, Our grandfather understands what God wants for him. He practices the things that he's taught. Right? He does the things that bring life. But yet he has a son who has seen that modeled in his life, but he actually does the opposite. That he doesn't do anything that the Lord has taught him to do. 
that he does simply whatever he wants, right? And God is distinguishing through the example, right, of here is what life is about and here is not, and I will judge according to your deeds. And then we have the last example. Now suppose that father has a son and he sees all the sins his father has committed and though he sees them, he does not do likewise. He does not eat to the mountain shrouds or look to the idols of the house of Israel. He does not defile his neighbor's wife. He doesn't oppress anyone, hold collateral or commit robbery. He gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing. He keeps his hands from harming the poor, not taking interest or profit on a loan. He practices my ordinance and follows my statutes. Such a person will not die for his father's iniquity. He will certainly live. And so we have three examples of God helping us understand that, that it's me, not my circumstance, right? Who is responsible before God, right? For both living and doing according to what he has asked of him. And he said it is, it is this idea, this principle, right, that we need to understand. Now we, uh, now we go on to God's comments about this. Go on to verse 18. As for his father, he will die for his own iniquity because he practiced fraud, robbed his brother, and did, his among, uh, did among his people what was not good. But you may ask, why doesn't the son suffer punishment for the father's iniquity? Since the son has done what is just and right, carefully observing all my statutes, it will certainly live. The person who sins is the one who will die. A son won't suffer punishment for the father's iniquity, and a father won't suffer punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous person will be on him, and the wickedness of the wicked person will be on him. God sees you, right, and he understands that you have personal dignity, right, that you have a right to do what you want to do. And so as we see, right, the people around us so often, we say, well, I got caught up with the wrong crowd, right? Or uh, my dad's a good man, so maybe that will rub off on me. But he's saying, again, for each one of us, that the principle is that I see you as individuals, that I judge you as individuals, right? And so this, this, um, this is really important for us, right, to see ourselves, right, before God, Right, understanding what he wants from me and understanding that I have personal responsibility. It is so confused in our, in our society because the way that I, uh, I may say that I believe that, right, but my actions say something completely different. So let's finish up and then you'll have some time to discuss and then we'll debrief. So verse 21. So he goes on, but if the wicked person turns from all the sins he has committed, keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he will certainly live and will not die. None of the transgressions he has committed will be held against him. He will live because of the righteousness he has practiced. And he asks this question, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? This is the declaration of the Lord God. Instead, don't I take pleasure when he turns from his ways and lives? When a righteous person turns from his righteousness and acts unjustly, committing the same detestable acts that the wicked do, will he live? None of the righteous acts he did will be remembered. He will die because of the treachery he has engaged in and the sin he has committed. But you say the Lord isn't fair. Now listen, O house of Israel. Is it my way that's unfair? Instead, isn't your way that's unfair? When a righteous person turns from his righteousness and acts unjustly, he will die for this. He will die because of the injustice he has committed. But if a wicked person turns from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he will preserve his life. 
He will certainly live because he thought it over and turned from all the transgressions he had committed. He will not die. But the house of Israel says, The Lord's way isn't fair. Is it my ways that are unfair, house of Israel? Instead, isn't your ways that, have, that are unfair? He's saying, isn't this the most fair thing? That you yourself are responsible? That you have complete uh, autonomy as to whether to follow me or not? That as you're following me, my plan is not for you to follow me for two weeks, right? Or the first week of school or in my 30s, right? But that my plan is for you to have life always, for you to repent and actively engage with me in perpetuity, like ongoingly. And so for us to understand that his, what his will for us is, right, is to engage actively moving forward, right, I've got to wrap my head around, well, what does that mean for the times that I'm not? That is it just okay <laughs> that I'm just on vacation every once in a while? That, 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 that God's like lets me slide? And so here's the last part, and then we'll get into um, some questions for discussion. Verse 30, therefore, house of Israel, I will judge you according to your ways. Not what you intend to do, right, or what you want to do in your best effort, but what you actually do. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your rebellious acts so you will not become a sinful stumbling block to you. Throw off all the transgressions you have committed and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. Why should you die of house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. This is the declaration of the Lord, so repent and live. So I want you to take a minute, right, to take that for face value, unpack um, at the end to give you more context, but I really want you to just sit in Right, what he is speaking to us about and discuss that around your table. So you've got four questions there. Just pick out uh, whichever ones you want to go with. Have, take about 10 minutes or so. Um, and then we'll come back and, um, yeah, and debrief. <laughs> no, no, we're good. Thank you. All right. So let's, um, so let's come back together. So I'm suspecting as I hear um, your conversations, you're looking at this passage, you're like, what, what is this that you got us messing with this morning? Um, this, this sounds like the most Old Testament passage that's ever been read, right? <laughs> uh, but I suspect as you were talking about this idea of personal responsibility and how much we really struggle with this, and maybe why God wants to uh, bring it to your attention today, because I would say that um, when we start taking pers personal responsibility is when life begins. In Matthew 16, the famous passage where Jesus gives the conditional, right? If you would come after me, you must take up your cross and follow me. Right? For if you seek to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Right? And what this declaration is to the people is, will you take, finally, take personal responsibility for who you are and what you're doing? And do you understand that you don't know what you're doing? But there is a good king, right, and a good teacher who is saying, hey, I want to teach you and bring you back into relationship with me. I want to teach you to do what you were meant to do, what you actually want to do, but you don't know how. And so as we, as we ask these questions to ourselves, I suspect, 
right, that we all want to grow up, right? We all want to do the things that we, um, in our heart of hearts, want to do, and yet don't have the willpower to explain it away while I haven't yet started doing it. And so as we, um, as we talk this morning, that is, uh, that is God's hope for you, and that is God's hope for me, that we would see hope, right, in taking responsibility for the things that I am doing and turning to him, right, in faith, actively and actually, not in, um, well, sometime I'll figure it out. So let's look at the questions here. So the first thing I ask you to do is just reread these first questions about why it matters in verse 4 that he states that every life belongs to me. Because in actuality, right, we, this is what we don't believe. We believe that my life matters sometimes when I'm paying attention, but as I walk around the world, I, I, I judge people. I don't see that they have maybe personal responsibility. God is saying, regardless of what you think of the world, every single person is mine. Every single one person that's ever lived, I care about them. I care about not just uh, who they are, but what they do. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine just caring about every single person at your table? <laughs> that the, the first time that you kind of own something, whether it's a turtle, a fish, a cat, right, that you start kind of freaking out about it, right? That there's this thing that I need to take care of. I care now. I wish I didn't, but I care. Yes? And this, is, this, this starts to help us understand kind of God's mindset, that he is not, he doesn't think uh, randomly about you. Like he created you, he loves you, he wants the best for you. And he claims you. God claims you every moment of your entire life. And I suspect that you have struggled with this mindset of, of not wanting to take responsibility even for the things that you do, right? I want to take credit for the good things if somebody likes it. Yeah, yeah, I meant to do that. But the things when I am careless and reckless, that's fine. But there are certain moments when you understand that it's not fine. Right? When there's clarity that you that I understand the weight of my actions and my thought processes and what they lead to about the things that I'm about, the things that I value. I think the answer to this, have you struggled with this mindset, is absolutely. And what it leads to is not caring, not understanding, not taking every moment captive. Right? Not, not understanding that this life matters for myself and others. And so this, this statement speaks against this mindset because it makes you understand that, that God is not like whatever. He claims you. He says, Rob, you're mine. I see you every second of every day, and I still love you. I still am here for you if you'll understand what I want. That no one is a lost cause. That no one is outside of repentance. That no one, just because I've been following the Lord for five or ten years, that I'm not to take a break for five or ten more. No relationship 
would survive that sort of thinking, and yet that is our mindset. It'll just work out. It's just okay. Right? Maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday this week I'll care. Tuesday, Thursday, not so much. Weekends, we'll see. And so this, this mindset is pervasive, and we really struggle with it. Our habit is to not think too much about what we do. And so his statement says, look, everyone, um, everyone belongs to me. I think this is where it starts. It gives us hope that he cares and he wants something different for us than we want for ourselves. So let's look at the second question. So the second question asks, why does it matter that I'm accountable to God for my actions? And what difference would this make in my everyday life? What percentage, don't say this out loud, but I want you to think about, if you had to put a number on it, what percentage of your actions do you think you're responsible for? Because it's not all of them, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm responsible for the report that I turned in or for showing up to class or calling my mom on her birthday, right? But I'm not responsible for the things that I watch or the things that I don't do that I should do, right? Like you have a, like this really random way of judging yourself, don't you? <laughs> and it works, except if you ever took two seconds to think about it. Because we've never functionally lived like what we do matters. That when I'm angry, I just kind of you know, do what I do, and then we come back, oh, I'm sorry, it's no big deal. And yet, hey, when somebody has expressed anger to you, is it no big deal? No. If somebody does something that's overly harsh or overly critical, right? Not meaning that we shouldn't be harsh sometimes or shouldn't be critical sometimes. But those things matter, right? We, we give ourselves a free pass all the time, both in the things that we do and the things that we don't do. Eh. <laughs> and God is really trying to encourage you. This life is not an eh. It's not a whatever. Life actually becomes sweeter when we say that, oh, I matter to God, I matter to this world, I matter to my friends. The things I do matters to myself. Life gets sweeter because there's stakes. It matters when I, uh, when I pursue my friend who's struggling. Like it really matters because if you don't pursue them, nobody else is. It matters that I pray for my friends for uh, there be an open door for the gospel in their heart. It also matters if I don't pray for that. God is trying to teach you and teach me because he loves us, right? That he wants you to be invested in this life in a way that you haven't before. And for you to understand that you matter in this life way more than you think you do. And I know some of you have started to understand this, and I've seen it. That the things that you decide to do and not do, right, are actually having an impact on the people around you. 
the ways that you have started to engage with God on a personal level have started to impact you in a real, active, everyday way. Because he doesn't want you to just randomly luck into righteousness. <laughs> he wants to make you actually righteous, to understand the good and that you love to do it. And so this is why, right, it matters. The third question speaks into uh, Ezekiel 3.18. If you didn't read it, basically uh, it is Ezekiel's call. And he basically says, I'm making you a prophet. You were a priest, which means he was going to function at some level in the temple in Jerusalem, but he's been moved from Jerusalem to Babylon. And he says, I'm calling you out, Ezekiel. I'm calling you to be an instrument of mine. I'm calling you to be uh, a person, right, that does what I ask you to do very specifically. And then he says this, I'm going to give you things to do, and if you do them, awesome. But if you don't do them, there are real consequences. And he uses the word, there's blood on your hands. And this is very heavy for 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, but life is heavy. There's a guy last night, if you saw in the news, I don't know what his condition was, he randomly knocks on the wrong door in a neighborhood in Rosewood. And he didn't wake up this morning. Right, that there are real consequences, not just randomly <laughs> for life. And that's the world we live in. That's hard. That's really hard. Seems like an innocent mistake, right? And it cost him his life. But as we read Ezekiel, it says, God here is speaking to Ezekiel about his appointment as a watchman to Israel. In these verses, God says that he holds Ezekiel responsible for fulfilling the duty that he gives him. We often struggle with being held responsible for the wrong that we knowingly commit, right? How dare you? I mean, I punched my sister in the face, but I mean, come on. Like, she deserved it, right? Like, we get mad when we get, like, a punishment. You didn't do the report that you had, you know, five weeks to do? No. How dare you hold me accountable and give me a zero? I mean, honestly. But, but how do we feel about someone holding us responsible for the right that you should have done? Right? That's just when we capriciously do what we don't want to do or do the wrong. But what about somebody trying to hold us responsible for the thing that we should have done that we don't do? Right, then I ask you to think about what's the difference in your mind and why does this never cross our mind that there are consequences right, for not saying the thing that we need to say? How many of you play sport? Yes, have played a sport before, okay? Right, uh, how many of you played a musical instrument, right? So in a sport, there's often, you're running like an offense or a defense, right? Everybody's gotta be on the same page. In an instrument, there's, there's music to be played, right? That as I hit this note, somebody else is supposed to hit this other note and it sounds right, but when I hit the wrong note, it sounds wrong, right? When I run a different play than everyone else is running, it doesn't work, yes? And so, so often, as it comes to the doing the right, right, God has given us a play to run. Amen? Right, you know what you're supposed to be doing. I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but sometimes I'm like, ah, I'm not going to run that play. And so often it comes down to, it's like, God is like, just run the play. <laughs> because we don't understand that there's real consequences, right, to not running the play, to not writing 
to doing the note at the right time. Because if that's the case, then right, everything matters. And I've got to get used to kind of the weight of living life that way. Like there's real consequences that if I can't control my anger and frustration with my wife, there's real consequences to that for our relationship. It's not just whatever. Lastly, at the very end of the passage, I ask you to reread the, the last four verses. And so I want just to remind us as we end, what is it that God says he values in the midst of this conversation about us taking responsibility and about how life would change if we did this and understood how to do this? What does it say that God values? It says, I will judge you according to your ways. Yeah, justice. He is about justice. He's not arbitrary, right? And he's not partial. It says, from the, uh, from the richest to the poorest person that's ever lived, from the tallest to the smallest, right? I'll hold you to the same standard. That life matters. And so he values how you spend your time, and he values the fruit that comes from the effort that you put in. He values that. What can we say about God's character from what he seeks to communicate with us through the statement? Right, he says in the next uh, sentence, throw off all your transgressions you have committed. So there's different bad words in the Bible, whether it's sin, transgression, iniquity, this idea of transgression that's typically translated in some English versions is this um, idea of um, severing a trust relationship. So it's transgressing a relationship that's built on trust. Right? It's severing it. What he's saying here, what, what his, his advice, what his teaching is to us, it says, I want you to throw off all those things that thwart our trusting relationship. All the things that are in your life that you care about more than upholding our trust relationship. And you have them. Yes, I have them. There's a lot of things that I would rather do than do the things that uphold my trust relationship with him. He says, throw them off. They're a weight to us. He says, get that big old shirt off of you. Throw it away. And he says, and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. And this is looking forward to further on in Ezekiel, where he promises in the new covenant that he will give us a new heart and a new spirit. That we will be able to then move forward, right, in the life that he has called us to. So last question, what does he lovingly tell us to do to combat our culture's fatalistic out, uh, outlook and our own God-blaming? Right, we do this in the midst of that, Right. God, if you would have only, I wouldn't be so mad. <laughs> if you would have just, then I would just. Yes? We do this constantly. Right, he tells us, right, to engage in the trust relationship in the way that we're meant to. Have you ever thought 
right, that you're responsible for your relationships. I've talked to many of you, I've, I've had these conversations myself where we, where we just get mad at the other person because, uh, can you believe what they did? <laughs> but yet, how many times are we taking responsibility for what I did? Or what I could have done to soften the blow of the unfortunate circumstance? If I could have let my pride down, right, to, to try to rescue this, this relationship that, that meant so much to me, but yet I won't because, well, they did wrong. What if God treated us like that? Would you turn real quick uh, back to uh, the Matthew, uh, Matthew 16? And this is where, where we'll end. Right, so often when we're mad or when we don't like something, right, it's an often levied about what God is like. Why does he punish? And yet we have the passage here, the very last statement. He says, I take no pleasure <laughs> in anyone who dies. So repent and live. As I just want to leave you with um, Matthew 16 verse. And so this is his call to us today. And we're actually going to do one more, one off before we start our uh, kind of fall series next week. But he says in verse 24, then Jesus says to his disciples, that's you. He says to the, Jesus is talking to the people who would come after him, right? It's not the 12. It's all who said, hey, I like this Jesus guy. Let me see what he has to say. Jesus said to his disciples, so he's, he's telling you, people that are with him, not far off from him. If anyone wishes to come after me, if anyone wishes to take responsibility for his life, he needs to deny himself. Take up his cross, an instrument of destruction, and follow me. And this is the reason why that we do that in hope. We follow in hope, we don't follow because we've been scolded. Amen? That this is why he's calling us out. He says, I want you to have a different life than you have right now. And when we follow him for the right reasons, not out of scolding, right, or you should have done this, he says, there's a different life for you to live, but it comes with you taking personal responsibility for the life that you've been living and putting that away. For you to lose yourself your life for my sake, you will find it. Let's pray. Father, at the beginning of the semester, or the beginning of the end of August, whatever we're doing, Lord, I pray that today um, is a turning point um, in some lives. Father, I pray that, they, that we will see ourselves as you see us, as people of consequence, as people that matter, as eternal beings who can make a difference in this world. And because you think of us like that, that you call us to a different life and a different standard, and you call us into a relationship with yourself in a meaningful, active, ongoing trust relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray that as we think about uh, what I've been about, maybe over the summer, or maybe my whole life. Father, would we heed your call? 
that we, will we heed that conditional that we would want to live a life that you created us for? And will we understand that where that starts? And will we understand that, it, that my life matters whether I mean it to or not? And so, Father, as we move into a time of corporate worship um, with the rest of the body, Father, would that be a sweet time um, that we can read and reflect, praise you, and listen to you? We thank you for this time together, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.